0: Welcome to our podcast. I'm Karen Avari and I am Lula Gage. Together we are the safety collaborators and co-founders of Safety Collaborations. We help people change the way they think about safety. In fact, we are passionate about it. Our free podcasts intend to share nuggets of wisdom that will challenge your perspectives, potentially solve a nagging problem, share actions that you can implement and give you at least one aha moment. Join us weekly and let's change the way
1: people think about safety together. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome back. And following up on our episode nine, where we discuss the provocative topic, is your site safety board psychologically safe? Today, we're kind of continuing that conversation with What does safety look like, look and feel like when we aren't looking at statistics and numbers? Nils,
0: what do you think? So, when we talk about that and we say, well, what does it look like? There's a couple of of things that come to mind. And for me, it's also around thinking about how do we actually see the attitudes and behaviors of people towards safety through. What you look at and what you see when you walk into, whether it's an organization, whether it's walking onto a rig, walking into a restaurant or a shop, it's around what are the kind of things that stand out to you to go, do I trust this organization and the people here to give me a good service, to deliver on the promises of what they are going to do? And in our world of safety is, can we trust that people are going to do things safely and putting the bigger picture first. So a couple of the things that that I've thought about when considering this topic is, Mm. you know, you walk into, let's say, like I said, a new restaurant and you go, oh, I'm so excited to try this out. But then you notice that actually the tablecloths are stained and dirty. Mm. Or the water glass has fingerprints on it. And you start going, oh, maybe I should go to the bathroom before I order food and see what the state of the toilets are before I actually even considering eating here. And there have been more than one occasion where I have come back and gone, I don't think we'll be eating here today because I don't trust that what is going to come out of that kitchen is hygienic, clean and safe for me to eat. (laughs)
1: <laughs> just so them. when we take bed, yeah. Go on. No, I was just thinking about, I think one of the worst things for me is you get a glass of water and there's still some remnants of somebody else's lipstick on it.
0: Ugh. Oh, that just freaks me out. I mean, yeah. I'm done. I, I am done. <laughs> I will walk away.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: So when you think about things like that and you bring it back into the world of safety and the world of high hazard and high reliability industries, there are telltale signs of what that organisational safety culture is. Are people complying just because they have to comply to the base minimum standards or do they actually care about what they're doing enough to do it safely, to do it well and effectively effectively? So, if you think about, Kaz, when you have been on that, you know, bus in the sky, mm. flying into a rig, and you land on the heli deck, mm. there are some telltale signs that kind of go, oh, is this what I'm walking into? Mm. So, what are some of those for you? I very
1: distinctly, and I've said that, mentioned this many times to people, you know, When we're talking about the, the safety culture of an environment, you know, a rig, for example, it's, it's that intrinsic feeling as well as what we observe. So, and I can got to a point where, you know, you can actually tell what the culture, I mean, it's not a hundred percent, but you know, you can certainly tell what you might be walking into before you've even landed. On the heli deck. So as you're getting closer to the heli deck, you start to see the rig, you start to see the derrick, you start to see the the you know the pipe deck. You start to see things, and even the way people are physically holding themselves. You know what's their presence as they're walking around. And then you land, and you know you'll quickly either be uh, confirmed or not confirmed, but it's usually confirmed you know then how how are you greeted how are you now obviously there's protocols and things you land on a rig I mean you're not there to have oh hi everybody you know chit chat while you haven't even stepped <laughs> off the heli deck, right so you need to move along but is it efficient is it clear you know as is there clear communication do, do people look like they're actually paying attention to what they're doing are their coveralls in good condition you know, all of these things start to give you a sense of what you're walking into. And then, you know, what do the stairs look like? You know, are they, are they tidy? Are there, you know, what does the walkway look like that's taking you from the heli deck into, to the induction room or wherever it is that you're heading towards? Mm-hmm. Uh, what does that look like? Is there care? Uh, In those spaces, because sometimes it's those spaces that are neglected because, well, they're not always seen as the most important element because we focus on the drilling or the whatever it is that we're doing. And, and that's the first impression we get. You know, so what's the first impression someone's going to get walking into your environment, wherever that is? And what are we seeing? What are we feeling? What are we smelling? You know, all of our senses come to life. You know. Do I want to touch the handrail that I have to without
0: gloves on? Maybe, maybe not, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Am I seeing signs of rust in places where I go, oh, you know, when was that last investigated or looked into? Mm. And and it is. It's it's across multiple sites. I think of some of the construction sites that I've worked on or some of the mines that, you know, I've worked on. And you, you do, you get that sense of, right, this, this might be a challenge, which is, you know, we're always up for a challenge. And it makes me think of the broken windows theory. Mm. Uh, you and I were speaking about this a bit earlier today. So, and thank you for finding the history on it. So just to give a little bit of sense of where does this theory come from? And it is an academic theory proposed by James Q. Wilson and George Kelling in 1982 that used broken windows as a metaphor for disorder within neighbourhoods. And their theory links disorder and in civility with a community to subsequent occurrence, occurrences of serious crime. So what the theory is, is saying that if you have a let's say, a warehouse that is now no longer operational. So it's pretty much abandoned. Mm. And one window gets broken and it doesn't get repaired. It will very quickly turn into a slum or a place where there are multiple windows broken. The warehouse is ransacked. The window frames eventually and doors are taken off to be used somewhere else. Squatters start moving in, you know, Possibly it becomes a drug haven. So from one broken window, how does it slide to becoming a possible crime-infested den of iniquity? Whereas when that window is immediately repaired, people go, oh, somebody is watching. Someone's paying attention. There is care around this building even if nobody is in there. And it is very unlikely that it will then move into this potential crime ridden environment. So how do we relate that to the world of work? How do we relate it to the world of safety? Mm. And there are a few things. It's around what are the things that we just walk past and we go, I couldn't, I don't want to have to deal with that today. So I'll, I'll just ignore it. So it might be cigarette butts around the ashtray and the smoking area. It might be empty plastic water bottles in different work areas. It might be the fact that you walk into the communal kitchen and there's greasy marks on the tables from dirty gloves. You know, the coffee machine hasn't been cleaned and filled. It's been left because it's somebody else's job. They'll do it. You walk into the locker rooms and you just go, oh, I don't really want to change in here. This is disgusting. So these are some of the things that start showing up where it's not in our statistics, it's not in our numbers, but it is having an impact on the statistics. It's having an impact on our safety culture. And these things often become the unwritten rules. Mm, the way we do mm. things around here.
1: Uh, you know, And even more simplistic uh, example is, you know, if you see one piece of rubbish... One piece of rubbish you will see and probably pick it up. If you see many pieces of rubbish, you'll go past. And maybe too many pieces of rubbish is too hard. Yeah. Or we abandon it to someone else's job. Right? Exactly. So I. these are the... You know when I mean, we talk about housekeeping I mean this is a very big topic it's a well spoken about topic on a in the work environments in the work environment it's important it's not just on an oil rig though how many offices have we been to and they're just a den of wires in boxes and paper and and it's terrible they're unsafe it's chaos and you do sort of look at the thing how do they get anything done around here when they can't even File properly, so it isn't yes, because always... the
0: filing cabinets or boxes of files yeah. are piled up against the emergency exit door.
1: Yeah. Okay. Or you'll have filing cabinets that are empty because everything else is outside. You know, we'll see rubbish bins in parks that are overflowing. We see this a lot. So in many walks, in many areas of our lives, it isn't just on, a, you know, on a rig. So interestingly enough, I think out in the on in, in the rigs that we work on a I minute mean, because it's such a high topic and it's so important uh, that even just housekeeping, and I, I say that in quotes, air quotes that you can't see, uh, uh, it, it's a really important aspect. It's, it's one of the small things, the small acts, behaviours that can make a very big difference uh, to that overall culture. And I think it's not safety culture, it's a culture of care,
0: Because it means that we care about something, yeah. And and on the one hand, I think it shows that we care and that we care enough to hold each other accountable. Absolutely. And it makes me think of recently I I had a frustration over on the housekeeping. (laughs) Yeah. And I mentioned in front of, you know, um, the the team HOD meeting or head Mm -hmm. of department meeting, and I was Mm -hmm. like, If you see it, you own it, especially Mm -hmm. at this level. You cannot just walk past because someone is always watching and they learn by example and they go, well, if you as a leader in this business can walk past and not pick up the water bottle or, you know, clean up the area or you see something that's, that's not correct, then why should I? And it was an interesting challenge that came back. And the challenge that came back was we can't always be picking up after other people. People need to be responsible and be held accountable for not leaving their areas in that kind of state. So we had a bit of a debate around it. Well, then what do you do? Mm. So do you walk past and you just leave it because you think I am not picking up someone else's trash? Mm. Or do you actually go, hang on? What department was the last department that was working in this area? You all get back here and you come and clean this and you leave it in the state of which is acceptable for the next group to come in. Mm. And if you go, oh, it wasn't me. We found it like this with poor housekeeping and bits left over and barrier <laughs> tape flying in the wind. Well, why was that acceptable and OK? Mm. Why did you not then go, hold on a second, who was working in this area before me? You guys, you come back here because I want to start working in a clean environment.
1: I think there could be a counter to that in that, you know, people might be going, back. well, I haven't got the time to go and chase people around the place, you know. Um, But interestingly enough, the paradox in that is you're now going to potentially take the time to clean it up. And it won't be just this time. It'll be next time and the time after and the time after because those other people know that oh well it's okay somebody else will clean up after me it's a bit the parent child theory you know the parent (laughs) says can you please go and clean your room they don't you please go clean your room they don't please go clean your room they don't so you go and clean their room and the child's going yippee they've done it again (laughs) <laughs> i don't have to clean my room because eventually they will uh, so that's you know we're, we're big responsible adults and uh, so therefore we don't want a culture that encourages that sort of behavior so i feel that you know we would encourage people to actually take that bit of energy in the beginning at least to get other people to come back and be might be responsible as you said for mm. their actions
0: yeah. Responsible and mindful, and what I loved about what you said there is around we, we're all aware of the fact that you think i don't have time to go and chase someone else, but it's only going to take once or twice for people to learn that you will not accept that behavior exactly and and we do have to have a base level of compliance and expectation that that we all agree to indeed, and you know. It's in these kind of small areas where if you can get that agreement and that compliance to say, well, actually, we all agree we want to work in a tidy environment, whether that's on a rig, whether it's in an office environment, whether it's on a construction site. So, yes, we all agree that this is our minimum level, you know, Um, then we can start moving up into having a look at, well, you know, how does care impact and all of that? So... If you are at a at a stage where possibly you are starting to have maybe an increase in incidence or, you know, people aren't working as well together, sometimes taking a step back and looking at these potentially seen as insignificant small things, mm. you know, how are they actually having an impact on the bigger things? And what are the kind of conversations, if we think about, you know... How are we having these conversations and getting agreement, you know, in case you often talk about the linguistic acts?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How, how are we asking people to be accountable for their space and the space around them? Mm-hmm. What requests are we putting forward? Um, are we making your favorite slippery promises? <laughs> slippery promises. <laughs> <laughs> I promise I'll clean up next time, but thanks for doing it for me this time. Exactly.
1: There is a slippery promise if there ever was one you know exactly you know so it, it is also very much about clarity ex setting the expectations what are the boundaries that you as a team you know so I was just thinking as you were talking about that whole concept of team agreements and I think that's really what we're looking for is what do we all agree mm-hmm. that the standards will be here irrespective of the actual rules in fact it go you need to go beyond that you know it's this is this is our minimum, regardless of what the book says. We're going to go above what the book says.
0: Right. Yes, yeah. And as leaders, because often that's where it starts. You know, it's mm. it's what we put forward as leaders oh, in an environment will then yeah. be followed. You know, sorry, leaders so out there. How- starts with you. <laughs> so, yeah, it it does. Yes. So how do we how do we encourage the culture that we want? And for me, often it is it's around you know we have that cliche we're going to lead by example, well, <laughs> fabulous, but what does leading by example actually look like mm. and you know, I recently had an example of of you know um I think it was the company man mm. walking into the kitchen and going, "Okay, this isn't quite the way I like things, and there are a whole lot of people standing around mm. and You know, I heard the story afterwards and he just started cleaning up, um, wiping down the surfaces, making sure that the coffee filters had been cleaned away, refilling the coffee machine, putting water in it. And people just stood there looking like, well, what are you doing? And someone actually said, no, but the catering crew will be coming in to do that. You don't need to do it. He's like actually, no, I do need to do it because I'd like to make myself a cup of tea and I can't make myself a cup of tea in a dirty environment. It doesn't sit well with me. Mm. And then having the conversation with, well, actually, what is this indicative of? So you're going to walk outside and you're going to see something that isn't okay and go, well, oh, well, someone else will come along and do it. Um, and, and being that leader that actually goes and goes, no, actually, this is my expectation. So the next time I walk into the kitchen and you're standing here, I expect that you will have left it in a way that I am happy to come and make my cup of tea.
1: Absolutely. yeah It's funny, I was thinking about mm-hmm. airplane lose. <laughs> you know, oh. when you go to the bathroom. You know, the, I, it stuns me how people just leave a mess. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking about water and stuff, you know, I'm not, you know, or, or the tissue on the floor or, you know, all, all this sort of stuff. It, it just boggles my mind. Um, and I often sit and think to myself, do you not know, have any pride <laughs> or self-respect? Exactly.
0: Exactly. You
1: know? <laughs> exactly. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So... And I, you know, we, we were talking about the word pride actually. So you know, it's about how do we? You got to build trust and rapport for sure with each other, and that happens. Um, but how do we take pride and recognize that the behaviours that you exhibit and want to see in others is important? But it starts with you. Mm-hmm. So we we did a bit of a bit of a search about, and I remembered from years ago I used to have a. a like a little notice on my corkboard that sort of said pride, mm-hmm. you know, that said something along the lines of personal responsibility in delivering excellence. Mm-hmm. You know? So it is our individual. It's everybody's responsibility to have that culture that we see, feel, um, sense, sense
0: even. Uh, mm-hmm. It's everyone's responsibility in that. And on that, I remember one of the um – second mates actually saying to me once when you walk around do you see anything that's kind of like out of place and i said no i said this is an old rig but it's a it's a really neat and it's a tidy rig i said mm-hmm. and there's you know there's constantly painters going around keeping things up to date and if mm-hmm. there's you know or if there's a little tiny piece of rust that gets chipped out and, and it gets done he goes These are the things that are important to me, because if I can have everyone walking out and going, this is a place I want to be. I'm not living on a rust bucket while I'm out here. Mm. I am somewhere where it's being constantly worked on, constantly maintained, and he had such a pride Mm. in the consistency of his tiny little team, because mm. I think there was only one AB on night shift and one AB on, on day shift. Right. But just right. how they maintained that rig that when he walked out, he was like, look at where we are.
1: Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And that's not, he wasn't comparing himself to anyone else. No. He was taking pride in what was happening there in the moment. Anyway. And And that kind of leads us into our emotional gem for today, which happens to be the emotion of pride. And so the story behind pride is, I did something good and I want to tell others. The impulse, and remember the impulse is what, the emotional impulse is what drives us to action, is to tell others what I have done. And its purpose allows us to tell others about the good things we have done. Now, pride allows us to share our accomplishments so that others can know what we value in life. Now, that's at the heart of what pride is, but it is often confused with the emotion of arrogance. And the difference is that pride is the emotion that lets you show how I feel or how you feel about things that you have done in a non-comparative way. So pride is not about competition. It's not about comparing yourself to what someone else has done. It's actually about feeling good about yourself and what you've achieved. And you may choose to share it or you may not, and that is okay. But arrogance is all about comparison and often comes with the belief that a person is either superior or or the others are inferior. So if you steer clear of comparison, Pride will serve you well. And it is a very much an emotion that is misunderstood. I don't know if that's the correct English, but it's not understood well. So feel safe in taking pride in all the good things that you do on a day-to-day basis and keeping your environment in a way that you want to be comfortable in, whether it be picking up that lone piece of rubbish or helping another to do the same. And I think that's us for today. Well done, everybody. That's a wrap for today. Thank you for joining us today. It's Always lovely to have these conversations that matter. We'll be delighted if you share this podcast and hit the subscribe button on your preferred podcast platform, such as Apple or Spotify, etc. Connect with us via our website, www.safetycollaborations.com, where you will find the show notes for today's episode. Email us at hello at safetycollaborations.com. We'd be delighted to hear from you. We are easy to find on LinkedIn. Just look out for either Nuala Gage or Karen Avari and follow our company page, Safety Collaborations. Until next week, stay safe and stay well.